This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Okay, so it's time. Let's begin. Um, this presentation is entitled, oh, oh, they just requesting if maybe you have some room and insight, you could scoot in a little bit because people are still coming in. If you can move toward the walls and then they have more room. Thank you. So this presentation is entitled, thank you everyone, entitled Emotional Pain Relievers, Healing for Addictions. Emotional Pain Relievers, Healing for Addictions. So turn me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 is our opening text. Today we live in a world of pain. For not only have we all been wounded through our sins, but we have all been wounded others, right? Also with our sins toward them. And without the healing love of God, the pain will never go away. For many Christians, the pain still remains, even though they may suppress, ignore, or deny it. You may ask yourself, how do I know that I still have unhealed pain from my past? You see, what people normally do is, you know, when you have a headache, right? People normally do, they take some type of pain reliever, right? Like sometimes they take what, aspirin or Tylenol, right? And what's the purpose of the Tylenol for? To what? To numb the pain, right? The physical pain. So in the same way, in the spiritual realm, the emotional realm, what happens is that when people experience some kind of emotional pain from the past or brokenness, what people normally do is they take some type of pain reliever, because it's just too painful to think about to numb their pain. And that's what we'll be looking at today. And I call them behavior narcotics. When I say narcotics, I'm not just talking about chemical drugs, such as drugs, alcohol, or cigarettes that people use to numb the pain of living today. But I'm also talking about behavior narcotics such as food, sex, entertainment as pain relievers or drugs. You see, many people today, even Christians, turn to sinful habits as emotional vacations away from their pain. But the problem is that when they come back from their emotional vacations, that pain is still there. So they got to continue on with the drug, and the drug gets stronger and stronger in their addictions. And finally, the addictions become so strong, they have to deal with it also. So beloved, there's a hunger out there for healing. And it's high time that we as God's people be healed from our wounds and thus be set free from our sinful habits. What do you say? Amen? So God can heal us, and may God heal us with his healing power of love. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word, and as we open it, we appreciate your sacred pages. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 1.27, what were we created in? Notice the Bible says here. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So we were created in the image of who? God, right? Now, what is God? 1 John 4 verse 8 says what? God is what? Love. So we were created in the image of God, and God is love. That means that we were created in the image of love. In other words, we were created to 
love and to be loved. What do you say? Amen? Because God is a God, there's a Godhead, right? In order for love to be love, you must not only be love, but you must give love. You can't just love yourself. That's why it's totally against what love is all about. The Father always said, I, this is my beloved Son, whom I love, my beloved, I love him, who I'm well pleased, right? And then the Son always says, I love my Father, and he loves me, right? It's that relationship of, of loving and being loved. And, and being in the image of God, male or female, we are to love, that's why, to love and to be loved. That's what we were created for, was actually love. And so every single person who has ever been born in this world has been born with a need to love and to be loved. And that's why the most dangerous thing is that it's not good for man to be alone, right? <laughs> and I'm not just talking about marriage, but even to be up by yourself in a monastery all the way up in a mountain. You know, I, I kind of did that route and I lived off the grid for 10 years, five beautiful acres in Hawaii, all by myself. Guess what? You still have problems. Did you know that? And we weren't meant to be alone. And actually, I'll share my testimony later on, but I got sick. I was a medical disability. But you know, it's when I'm with people that that is actually very healing for me, believe it or not. Even though when I was a medical disability, I didn't want to be with people, but actually being with people was the very means that actually helps me to get better. There's something there about that. It's not good for man to be alone. And not only that, but we become very warped in our views and our relationships. We can't get along with people because we isolate ourselves. It's very unhealthy to isolate ourselves. And we have a very a strong Western individualism here in America, which is very dangerous and very contrary to the Christian principle of Christian community found in the Bible. Now, you look in the Bible, the patriarchs, you look at not just parents living with the children, but what? Grandparents living with the children and the grandchildren and great-grandchildren and everyone else. It was a community. Unfortunately, there are many people today, even including Christians, who have never experienced this love of God. For they've seen it in their home from their parents. Their lives have been filled with love rather than emptiness and pain. Now, how important is this? Look at the handout here, Ministry of Healing, page 375 to 376. Notice, notice what it says here. Great is the honor and the responsibility placed upon what? Fathers and mothers. And look, I'm not here to bash parents, okay, because I am a parent. But I can tell you this, that I thought I was the, the most perfect Christian in the world until I got married. Can I hear amen? Yeah. Then I had somebody telling me, hey, uh, this is not such a good idea, what you're doing. I don't like this and that. And okay, maybe I need to change, right? And then when I thought everything was getting better, finally getting this thing, get a hang of it, or I guess I thought it was. I'm still learning. Then I had a daughter. Where it's like, where did she learn that from? <laughs> oh, I guess it's me. <laughs> and she's a reflection of all the, the good and the bad and the bad that I see in myself that I've forgotten about or don't want to think about, and she reveals it to me how I am. And that's what it says here. So I'm talking about myself here. But we need to talk about parents. And I, agree, I believe the greatest ministry in our church that we really need is not youth ministry, parent ministry. Can you hear amen? Amen? Because look, I was in youth ministry and first started off. So here I'm dealing with the youth. I'm helping them out. And, you know, they're all down and depressed. And I, we have a Bible study. We talk about things. And they're all happy and excited. And they go back home and they're feeling good. And the next day, guess what? 
all down again. That's dealing with the symptom, right? Because you're going to have to deal with it over and over. You're not, it's like this. It's like, the, it's like the, you're in, in the bathroom and water's all on the floor. And you're, and you're mopping up the water and you're squeezing it and put it inside the bucket. You keep mopping up the water and you look and the faucet is on. It's spilling out and the sink is closed. It's spilling over the edge and water's spilling over. And, and you keep on mopping up the floor. But what should you really do? Turn up the faucet. So a lot of times, many Christians, we like to deal, everything kind of revolves around, let's just deal with the symptoms. You know, youth ministry, let's just help them out. Let's kind of entertain them. Let's be their friend. Let's even help them to experience healing. But how about let's deal with the water faucet here? What do you say, amen? Where did these parents learn their parenting skills from? Maybe their parents. And maybe their methodology is passed on to the third and fourth generations. And God wants to break those chains. What do you say? Amen? Amen. Great is the honor and the responsibility placed upon fathers and mothers and that they are to stand in the place of God to their children. What do you say? Amen? Amen. And listen to this. By teaching the child to love and trust and obey them, the parents, they are teaching him to love and trust and obey his father in heaven. What do you say? Amen? Amen? In other words, Parents have such a sacred responsibility. Whether a child will love, trust, and obey our Father up in heaven is directly linked to how their father and mother has raised that child. Can you hear amen? Amen? Let me say that again because it needs to sink in. How our children turn out, and I notice the variables. I totally understand that. But 100% cannot be this because of the child's fault. It cannot be that it's totally their fault. They're the reason to blame. That's why they're gone and left the church. It cannot be 100% always the children's fault. Can you hear amen? Amen? I mean, this wouldn't be written. God would not give us counsels to parents. And God gave us a message. The last message was given in Malachi right before Jesus had come the first time, which is actually parallel to what's going to happen right before Jesus comes the second time, which is the Elijah message. In the last few verses of Malachi, which says, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. What did he say? Amen? And the hearts of the children to the father. But which comes first? It didn't say turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. No. It said turn the hearts of the parents, the fathers, to the children. What did he say? Amen? In other words, the parents, like God to us, need to initiate that love and reconciliation to the children first. And by loving the children first, love awakens love. What did he say? Amen? And when they love awaken the love to the child, that child will respond. And by doing that, that will reveal the gospel of God. That God is the one that initiates to us. That while we were yet sinners, God still loved us. God initiated his love to us. And when God loves us first, we respond back to God in wanting to serve him. And so our picture of who God is, is based upon how you were raised in your home. You have problems with your relationship with God? Where did you get that from? By your father or your mother. That's where you got it from. You have problems with loving God? Where did that come from? I'm not saying this. This is a, it's saying it right here. You have a problem with trusting God? Where did that come from? You have a problem with obeying God? Where did that come from? It came from somewhere. It's about time we start taking responsibility for what's happening in our church. What do you say? Amen? Got to start somewhere. 
things, do things just magically happen? Is that what happened? Things magically happen and you're where you're at today or your children are where you're at, they're at today? Is that this accidentally happened? I know accidents do happen in this world, but is there some responsibility here for parents also? I believe so. Well, it wouldn't say this. We were created with a hole in our hearts to be loved. And until we take that, no, until there's a responsibility for that child, that child is looking to mom and dad to fill that hole in their hearts. That child is learning how to trust by how father treats them to learn how to trust dad. That child learning how to obey our father in heaven based upon how they've learned to obey their mom out of a heart that wants to obey. That's the root cause that God wants us to experience. Not only did parents leave us with a void of parental love, but they also have left us with a void of a relationship with God also. You know, it's interesting to know that I made an appeal for healing, and you know, some people, you just look like, they look like they have it all together many times. But a lot of times, that's just a facade. And I made an appeal for healing, and a lady came up, and she just looked picture perfect, this dress really nice and this in perfection. And she came up to me and she said, you know, I realize that I really need healing in my own life. She said, I grew up in such a dysfunctional home. It was so broken. In fact, my brother is so hurt by his past that he actually became an alcoholic. And he's always drinking. And she said, the saddest thing about this whole experience is that we come from a pastor's home. But my dad was a pastor. And I realized that, you know, I think of my family. I think about, you know, pastors, PKs, they go through a lot. I'm telling you, you don't even know. And I know my daughter. I mean, it's hard being a PK for many different reasons. But here was a PK, and I meet PKs everywhere, and they're hurting. They're broken. And a lot of times, everyone thinks that they have it all together, but they really need healing in their own lives. You see, we are wounded in two main ways. Either our wounds go deep in how we were treated as a child growing up, or they're still fresh in how others have treated us, in, and we are hurting and wounding today. In either case, healing can still be found in God's love. What do you say, amen? But let's look at a story in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. We're going to just stay in this, this little story here. Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to see how addictions work. Okay, so you have to kind of think it this way. Now, I'm going to say this statement, and I want you to think about this. But when you're dealing with addictions, yes, there's a problem, and you need to deal with it, and you deal with the symptom. That's part of, part of it. But the root cause of addictions is not the addiction itself. In other words, don't just focus on the addictions that's solving that person from healing from those addictions. In other words, if someone is an alcoholic, don't just get them off the alcohol, even with God's help. Because there's something that's driving them to drink. If you stop the alcohol, guess what? It's going to come back to some other addiction to numb the pain. We're looking at emotional pain relievers. So if you stop one pain reliever, is that example, if you take away the Tylenol, they're going to want and take aspirin later on. Are you following me? So what do you need to, what do, you need to do if they're in physical pain? What do you need to do? Give them another pain reliever? Find the cause. So physical pain, yeah, and take away the pain, right? The physical pain. So the spiritual realm is the same thing. If they're hurting... And in pain, 
Do you just give them a study on a 2300 days? Are you following me? Is that relevant? It could be if you can make it relevant. And actually, I believe it can be, right? In the middle of the week, it was cut off, which is the cross. What do you say, amen? Which is the solution. So I want you to think about this before we go into the story. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, and we're going to see how addictions work. The lie of not being loved. What did the serpent say about eating the fruit? Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. Know the Bible says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Okay, so Satan wants to get Eve, right? And says, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. Okay, so Satan's coming to Eve, and well, Eve came to the serpent, and Eve, the serpent said with his words and came to Eve and said, Here, what if Satan would say, Here, Eve, here's the fruit, catch. Well, she had, and said, Eat it. Would she have caught it and would she have eaten it right away without anything this happened? Why? Why would she have eaten it? Tell me why. She didn't know it was Satan, right? It's a beautiful being, right? And why would she have eaten it? Why wouldn't she have eaten it, do you think? Okay, God called her. Okay, now, but what's behind, that's true, God told her not to. But what makes it, I mean, God tells us not to do a lot of things today, right? Do we still do them all, right? Okay, okay, seduction, okay. But what motivated her to want to do what God says to do? What's the motive? Love, right? It was love, right? So if you were Satan, I don't want to think you're Satan, but I mean, this kind of saying that, figure of speech. But if you, what would you want to do? If you were Satan, what would you want to actually do? Put doubts into your mind about what? Okay, God's love. Are you following me, right? Okay, so to get the addiction, so in other words, she loves God, wants to obey God, but to get her to disobey God, because if you say, here, take the fruit, eat, would she have disobeyed God? No. So he has to get into her mind, right, to make her what? Doubt and to fall out of love with God, right? You fall out of love with God, and then you can get her. So what he's going to do is, that's what Satan was. He didn't say, hey, Eve, how are you doing? Go, oh, wow. So he, the serpent can talk. Say, hey, by the way, this tastes so good. You got to try and eat it. And then he would, see, Eve would have thought about, no, God said not to eat. And I love God. See you later, right? And she would have walked away, right? Wouldn't it have been the story? But instead, he did something else. He went into her mind. And what did he try to do? So verse 4 was the first thing. He did two things. You will not surely die. Now, what did God say would happen if they would eat the fruit? They would die. So what was Satan saying? about God or implying about God that God was a what? A liar. Are you following me? Are you guys seeing Satan's plan here? So God was a liar. So now let me ask you a question. Can you love someone who is a liar? How many have been lied to? How many have ever been in a relationship like a boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife, and your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend has lied to you? Let me see your hands. Come on, don't leave me hanging. Let me see your hands up there. <laughs> Doesn't it hurt? Can you love someone who's always lying to you? It's hard. Oh, I was out with my friends. And they're out with their boyfriend, having an affair, right? Can you, do you feel that? Can you trust someone who lies to you? So he's painting this picture of, now God is love. Now, but he said, I can't get her on obedience and disobedience because not, she's not going to listen to me. So what I need to do is I need to get into her mind and paint the different picture of who God is, right? Isn't that what the whole great controversy is, right? God is love. It starts out in patriarchs and prophets, right? In the first three words of the, the conflict of the ages series. And in the last three words of the great controversy ends with what? 
God is love, and the last message to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of what? Love, because that's the whole great controversy is. It's who God really is. It's who Jesus said, this is my father, who he's really like. And Satan said, notice, this is who God is like. But here's the difference between the two in the great controversy. Jesus cannot lie where Satan can. And so it's like politicians. You know, you have the Republicans and Democrats, right, going on. And, you know, probably, you know, a lot of the politicians, you know, they can lie and they blow things up and exaggerate, right? And that's what the war is all about, over character. And so he wants to paint a picture. So now God is a liar. So you go, hmm, did God really say? Oh, you're not going to really die, right? Okay, what's the second thing that happened? Notice what it says here in verse 5. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, the Bible says here, for God does know that a day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as what? God's knowing good and evil. Okay, so what's the second thing? So he's saying, okay, look, you, you eat this fruit, and you're going to be like what? God. But then God told her, hey, don't eat that fruit, Eve, right? So what did Satan try to make Eve out to be? I'm sorry. What did Satan make God out to be? Looked like God was what? Selfish. Very good. Selfish, right? Because God is God and God's up there and he knows that this fruit is so good. In fact, he knows that that's the very fruit that made him God. So if, I was, if you were to eat this fruit, Eve, guess what? You eat this fruit and then you would be God. So that's why God didn't want you to eat it. So he told you, don't eat this fruit. So God wants it all for himself. He wants to be selfish. He doesn't want you to get whatever he has. He's a selfish being. Now, let me ask you the next question. Can you love someone who is selfish? Very hard to, again, right? Always thinking about themselves, never thinking about you, never want to help you all, never want to give you anything. This I, 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 me, 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 right? So Satan is painting a false picture of who God is in Eve's mind. So now she's been tempted and she's starting to believe, wait a minute, God is a liar. And not only that, but God is very selfish. Ah. And when did she start to entertain these thoughts in her mind, then Satan got her exactly where he wanted her to change her mind. And then she started to fall out of love with God, right? And that's how Satan works with you and me. You're created to love and to be loved. Eve was created to love and to be loved. She felt loved by God, and she loved God, and she'd do anything for God because if you love me, you, you know, keep my commandments. If you love me, the Bible says in John 14, you will keep my word. In other words, it, obedience, love makes obedience easy. It's a natural product of, of love. But once you take the ingredient of love out of the picture, then it becomes a form. There's no true obedience from the heart because I have to. I have to go to church. I have to pay my tithe. I have to go to GYC. I know you guys want to be here. What do you say? Amen? Can I hear amen? amen. <laughs> I like when the children say amen. Amen? <laughs> amen. <laughs> Becomes a joy. So Satan attacked her on the root cause, and that's what root cause is, okay? So as parents, we want to make it where our children want to obey us. What do you say? Amen? That we win the hearts of our children that we make it where they love us and we're actually seeking to not hurt them with words and our anger and impatience, but we actually are wooing them and showing them the love of God that actually draws us 
draws us with his love, and we draw our children with, the, with our love to the children. They want to obey us. And by doing that, we're revealing God's character, and they want to obey the father, our Father in heaven. If you believe that, let me say amen. Amen? So Satan was doing that, and he hit them on his two, on his two angles. Okay? Now look what it says here. Okay, so there's, when there's no unconditional love, and we are wounded, then that leads to emptiness and pain, right, in our hearts. Okay, look. Okay, so I did an appeal at a church for healing. And it was a very unusual sight because down, there was walking down the aisle to the front was a mother with her son, probably about eight years old, and another girl walking down the middle aisle to the front. I just don't normally see that. And they came in and knelt in front, and I was meeting people one-on-one for, and talking with them and counseling. And then as I was talking with them, um, I finally came to, I finished and I came to this, this mother and her, her son and I guess their neighbor and they all wanted healing. And I said, what would you like to, me to pray for? And she, she said, my son tends to lash out in anger a lot of times. And this kind of takes it out and is out of control. And then I said, I said to him, and I do this to my daughter, and I said, how's your love tank? You know, like a love tank. And I do to my daughter, I say, okay, where's your love tank? And my daughter would go, oh, it's up to here. <laughs> I said, come here. So, you know, you squeeze her, you look her in her eye and smile. And then, okay, how's your love tank now? She goes, it's up to here, daddy. <laughs> I said, that's all? She goes, yeah, that's all. I said, okay, come. And spend a little bit of time longer. I said, where's your love tank now? I said, oh, it's up to here, daddy. That's all? I said, okay, so I love it more, and we go on, like, okay, it's to the roof, okay, it's to the, it's the sky, okay, it's going to the universe, okay, it's all past Pluto, okay, it's all to heaven, right? So that love tank game we play. So I said, where's your love tank? And he went like this. Down to his knees. And I looked at her, and she was embarrassed and surprised at the same time. You know, she wanted me to help her son and pray for her son, but the table had turned. And I asked, why do you think that your love tank is so low? And she, he said to me, because mommy doesn't spend any time with me. And I understand she's a single parent, and how hard, hard it is, she's working. But mommy doesn't spend any time with me. That's just the reality. And she said, I, and she was embarrassed. She said, I, I know I don't spend any quality time with him that I know I need to. And, and here's the thing I have about quality time. You know, yes, we need quality time, and that's more important. But many times, you can't plan quality time. Quality time either happens or it doesn't happen many of the times, right? Like, it's in the quantity time that actually quality times actually pop up, right? Oh, remember the time we were, we were out here and actually turned rain and, you never, and we got all muddy and we, we had such a great time, right? How would you know, how can you plan that to happen in an accident, right? You cannot. I mean, there's times where you can spend the quanti- quality time, but there are times when we just have to spend quantity time with people and that, and, and that with our children and that does miracles to them, right? They're looking for you. They're looking to you. They're looking for that love from you. I know, young people, you're looking for that, that love from your parents, aren't you? And you're hungering for it. 
and you're longing for in your heart, and you're longing for that time where, or even not time, but just that actually mom and dad will accept me as I, is, as I am, and I won't be um, rejected, or I won't be loved only if I'm doing good, or yelled at. They're looking for love from their parents. So what happened next? Look at the do next in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And what the Bible says here, Genesis 3, verse 6. The Bible says, and when the woman, so now he played with her mind, right? God is selfish. God is a, is a liar. Then it says here, and when the woman saw that the tree was what? Good for what? Food. And that it was pleasant to the eye. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. So here we have here. So now, you see, before this, she loved God. And if, if Satan was going to tempt her, he was going to, she was going to say, no, I love God and I'm going to obey God. But now he played with her mind and God's a liar, God is selfish. So now her picture of God's character had become warped. And so now she didn't love God. So now he, he, she could actually take the fruit, right? So she took this fruit and she saw that now once looked bad in her eyes, now the Bible says it now looks what? Good. And she ate it. Why? Because the fruit made her feel better. It was an emotional reliever from the pain. What pain? The pain of not being loved by her father in heaven. The rejection of someone who she thought would be honest to her had lied, was unselfish, was really selfish. And so she took it and she was hurting and not only that, but she felt empty because without love, you feel empty. So it's something to feel her emptiness, her void. So she's longing for love. But now this void, this, this longing for love and being loved and this, this void that was always filled by God's love now had become empty. And so now she looked at this fruit and this was the first addiction found in the Bible. Food was her addiction. What for? To make her feel better from the emptiness, right, of not being loved to fill her heart of being hurt by God, one whom she thought she trusted and loved, a pain reliever from the hurt, a behavior narcotic for the wound, an emotional vacation from the pain, ah, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's what happened in the first addiction. So Eve ate of the fruit in order to fill her emptiness and to medicate her pain. In other words, Eve's behavior drug was her appetite. Her food became a drug to numb the pain. And the same way, when we don't get unconditional love in our lives and are sinned against and wounded, we become empty and we become full of pain in our lives. And when we find that something that promises to make us feel better, we take it. And many Christians today have medicated their pain with drug addictions, alcohol addictions, cigarette addictions, sex addictions, anger addictions, sports addictions, and video game addictions. But not only these addictions, these are like, you know, socially unacceptable, you know, in some cases, some of these things, um, socially unacceptable addiction. But there are other addictions as Christians that we actually take also. We take socially accepted addictions also, such as food addictions, work addictions, shopping addictions, TV addictions, Facebook addictions. Can you hear amen? Amen? <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Even religious addictions. 
Can you hear amen? Amen? We're going to get more into that in my seminar, Never Good Enough. It's a disguise. A huge disguise. Especially a lot of people who minister to numb the pain. And the worst thing about these addictions is that the addictions, addictions is a family problem. What do you say, amen? Because one person is addicted and the whole family is affected. Can you hear amen, amen? So it's not just, well, that's just your addiction, stay over there. No, it affects the whole family, whatever addiction it may be. And God came to set the people free and to set you and me free. What do you say, Amen. And these false substitutes are drugs or only false substitutes for love. And so when we take them, not only do they not last, but they keep us from experiencing the true love of relationships that God would have us to experience. And this lack of true love and intimacy thus leads to so much problems in our homes and in our churches that we're seeing today. So, so we're told in your handout, in manuscript releases, volume 7, page 58, that we are to reason from what? Cause to what? Effect. So we look, knowing what we know already, the addiction is not really the root cause. Does that make any sense? The root cause is really what? Can somebody tell me? Not being loved. Can you hear amen? Amen? That is the root cause. Now, understanding the root cause, you can better give a solution. But if you don't understand the root cause, you're going to always be giving the wrong solution. If you have a problem with if they have a problem with addiction of eating, right, overeating, if you don't understand the root cause, you're going to be giving the wrong medication, the spiritual medication, right? I was wrongly diagnosed in my illness, giving the wrong medication. That made me worse. You have to get the correct diagnosis. And besides that, you got to know that the root cause is that somehow, some way, somewhere in the past, they have not been loved. And they may have not gotten it from their parents, and they have not gotten it from God yet. And that's where you have to find the solution. Can I hear amen? What do you say, amen? If that's clear, let me say amen, amen? amen. So God wants us to, to experience that. So you look at your handout. So you have no unconditional love, and you're wounded. Then you have emptiness and pain. And when you have emptiness and pain, then you take behavioral narcotics or drugs to fill the void and to numb the pain. That's why people are drinking, they say they're drowning out there, what? The sorrows is a medication. They're drugging themselves up, right? You're medicating the pain. Or you're just medicating the pain. That's why they're taking drugs. Why? Because the past, and you've got to go back to the past, and you've got to help them to experience healing. So we're going to look at some modern-day behavior narcotics, or drugs, I call them, to medicate our pain. So if you were to say someone's taking drugs, so somebody taking drugs, if you just take away that drug, I mean, understanding what you know already, if you were to take away that drug that they're taking, in Hawaii, you know, crystal meth is big, you know, ice, okay? So if they're taking crystal meth or ice, and you somehow take that drug away, and you have a recovery program, and you eat healthy, and you overcome that drug addiction, with that, what, what's going to happen? Did you really help that person, is my question. Maybe it's from the bad symptoms of that drug, yes, you have. Where, but maybe they went to another drug, right, to numb the pain. But now it's sleeping around or food, right, to numb the pain. So you're not dealing with this, the root causes. We have to reason from cause to effect. You're only dealing with the symptoms. So let's look at a few behavior drugs. So the food drug. So appetite is huge, right, for 
um, men and women. And we told inspiration, if we overcome our appetite, right, we'll be able to overcome right, uh, our sins. So appetite is the root cause. That's why Adam failed, right? Jesus overcame the first time. So it's very important. And it's very, it's very strong, especially for women. That's why Eve, right, was tempted on appetite first. So a young woman came up to me and made an appeal for healing. She shared that when she was young, she was raped by her uncle. And she said she had always been overeating and overeating. She finally did my sermon. She realized it was connected to her past with her uncle. But she said she would always be overeating. She was always overweight. And she said, I've always been trying to overcome being overweight and trying and trying and never worked. She said, I even went to, I even went to these medical missionary schools and went to the whole program hoping that I would lose weight. But she said, I never lost the weight I wanted. And she said, I realized that there are things in my past, that, and especially about my uncle who raped me, that I never healed from. And I need to heal from that. When I heal from that, I know that God's going to set me free from this addiction. What do you say? Amen? That's the root cause. Just dealing with them, okay, here's a, life, here's a program, write it down, okay, this is what you do, okay, pray, make sure you read your Bible, and do the thing. You need to deal with their pain and have them experience the healing that they're longing for. The work drug, I see this happening a lot in our churches. People turn to their work or their careers to make themselves feel better. You see, when you spend so much time in your job and you're working and you're doing such a great job, people are like, wow, hey, Johnny, good job. You're doing a great job because, you know, man, production is up. You know, a lot of people are happy with your success. We're just so grateful you're going to get a raise. And then you go back home. Honey, did you go to the store and buy the clothes that I wanted, you wanted to buy for the kids? Oh, I forgot. Honey, can you please take out the trash? And don't forget that project about building the table for the kids' homeschool, you know, the, the, the study desk. And then why can't you always be home? And it's getting to a big argument. So you're thinking about yourself, okay, where would you rather be? Kind of think about it, right? Where would you rather be? Good job, Johnny. You're the, the best employee we've ever had, ever. The work drug. He's hurting from his past, an addiction. Then there's the shopping drug. Can I hear amen? amen. <laughs> and this is found in both men and women, but especially women, because the number one choice for addiction for women is actually um, is food, but because, you know, um, society looks down upon being overweight, uh, shopping becomes the first addiction for women. Not only women, but even men. <laughs> that's, that's me. You know, when I was in college, I was so much into uh, this, how I looked, and, you know, this kind of being in the cool scene. And so here I'm charging my credit card. Uh, I didn't have any money. I went to $10,000. Somehow my dad bailed me out, which he shouldn't have done because I racked it up to another $10,000. <laughs> Why? Because it made me feel better. That was my drug. That made me feel good. That, that felt my emptiness, emptiness inside. I wanted to feel better. You know, all the things I did in the past, I love music, I love dancing. All these things was my drug. It, it made me feel better. The emptiness I felt inside, all these things was all the different, that made me heal, I felt in my life. Then there's a video game or a gaming drug. You even heard of that, the stories where young men or little boys had died with the console still in their hand. For several days, it's a straight. Addicted to gaming. And then they have the fantasizing drug. And this drug is for girls and women specifically because we're wired differently. You know, just look at your handout here. 
Like, if you're, how do you know you're addicted to fantasizing? If you're addicted to love songs, novels, romantic movies, romantic comedies, Disney films like Snow White, Beauty and the Beast, and Cinderella. Can I hear amen? Let me, where did I get that from? Okay, don't stole me, but let me read this to you, okay? It says here, thousands are today in the insane asylum whose minds became unbalanced by novel reading, which results in air castle building and lovesick sentimentalism. Okay, what is this? So what is air castle building? What is castle building? So let's look at a castle. Now, what does a castle normally have? A king? Or let's, look at, let's make it younger. A what? Okay, a prince. Is that nice? <laughs> okay, so yeah, prince, charming, right? But, oh, actually, let's, let's go backward. Let's say a princess, right? Princess in a nice, beautiful castle, right? So here we have a princess in this castle. But, but in order to make this castle this perfect, and you just have a princess, what do you really need? You need a what? A prince. Castle building. In other words, someone to come and sweep you off your feet and save you out of your miserable condition that you're in, right? Whatever it may be in. Or somebody who's much more nicer than your husband or your boyfriend, who's so nice and so spiritual, unlike my husband or my boyfriend. Sweep me on my feet and save me, and we can ride on a horse into the Hawaiian sunset. Can I say that? Amen? <laughs> the Hawaiian sunset so they can live what? Happily ever after. Can you imagine thousands of today on insane asylum whose minds become unbalanced by these things? Then there's a pornography drug, a huge drug in America, especially for men. You know, there's a study, uh, a research they kind of did uh, in one of our colleges where they, they monitor the tr amount of traffic on the internet in the men's dormitories, and they found that in one weekend, it was 75% of the traffic was on pornography. Now, you look at this, you think, wow, you know, bad kids. But you, we need to look at it as not, pornography is not truly the main root problem. Are you following me? As you've been going through this session, you're kind of figuring it out. The real problem is what? Unconditional love they haven't experienced. God's true love they have not experienced. So you deal with this root cause, and then they're healed, and then the, the pornography, with, their, with your help in prayers, they're overcome. Notice what it says here from your handout, manuscript releases 21 through 84. It says, we must do something to stop this terrible tide of moral impurity. Self-abuse or masturbation stands as the most degrading sin, polluting the whole character of the man. Unless those who are practicing this vice break off their sin and repent before God, they will find no place in the city of God. You know, we think that's is only a sin for men. But, you know, when I was pastoring in Hawaii, I knew of a few cases, actually I knew more cases of little girls who were caught masturbating in their homes more than men. I mean, it just happened to be that way. Though I know it's way more than men. So we're living in a generation where we're seeing that people, and, and you're looking back, the, again, the, the problem is not primarily the sin, right? The problem is we need to go back to the root cause, and the problem is we tend to look at, well, you know, bad person or child sexual abuser, the, what they're really longing for, or even the sexual abusers, they too are longing for God's love. What do you say, amen? And no one has been able to give it to them, either their parents or anyone else who knows them. Genesis 3, verse 15. Notice what it says here in the solution. Here's a solution came to Adam. It said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. 
and between your seed and her seed, it shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So this enmity became here between, I mean, sorry, between Satan, right, and the woman. And this enmity, this, this barrier that came here was Jesus because, between this barrier, because on the cross, his, his, his heel was bruised by Satan. But Jesus on the cross, he crushed the head of who? Satan, right? And in the head, what's found in the head? One's thoughts and feelings. So though on the cross, Satan, you know, bit the heel of Jesus on the cross and hurt him on the cross, and he was hurt on the cross. But at the same time, Jesus on the cross, he crushed the head. He crushed the false thoughts and the false feelings of Satan on the cross about God's character. Because on the cross, it was forever revealed on the cross that God is not a liar. What do you say? Amen? And forever revealed on the cross that God is not selfish. What do you say? Amen? On the cross, dying there. In other words, no greater love than this, that a man should give up his life for his friends. And I call you friends. In other words, on the cross, God reveals that he was truly unselfish, that Satan was a liar and the father of lies. And he was a murderer from the beginning. And you cannot believe him. And if anything is true, is that he wants to make you fall out of love with God. And if you were to forget everything I said, just remember this, that God loves you. And God is not a liar. He's always honest and truthful, and his word will always come true, even in these last days. What do you say, amen? amen? Prophecy will be fulfilled. His word is sure. It's a sure foundation. God cannot lie. Not only that, but God is the most unselfish being this universe has ever seen. And when you see this beautiful love on the cross of Calvary, it will crush the lies of Satan's head that has been in your head. And it crush the lies out of your head that Satan has planted in your mind of who God is. And when you see who God really is and how beautiful his character is, it will break the spell of addiction in your life. The cross is powerful, and that's why the message of Genesis 3 verse 15 came to Adam and Eve of God's love, which is so powerful and healing. In today's world. How do you overcome addiction? Notice what it says here in Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. Continue on this thought. Page 76, it says here, God does not employ compulsory measures. God does not force. Love is the agent which he uses to expel sin from the heart. Can I hear amen? Amen? So let me ask you a question. Can you expel sin from your heart without God's love but by praying and reading your Bible? I'm according to this text. Can you? Do you think people try to do that as a Christian? You cannot overcome sin. You cannot overcome your addiction without seeing God's love for you. Impossible. Impossible. And that's why we're still where we're at. And that's why we're still here. You cannot. When Christ's character shall be reproduced in us, when his character of love, so we reproduce it. Why? Because we're beholding his love and we become changed. And then and only then, it said, let me read it again. Love is the agent which he uses to expel sin from the heart. Unless you focus and study God's character of love, you will not have true victory over your addictions. Impossible. And that's why we're at where we're at in our church today. Because we have not experienced the victory over sin through God's love. That's why we have so much broken homes today. That's why we have so much addictions Addictions is a family problem, not an individual problem. That's why our homes are falling apart. That's why the Elijah message is coming. God wants us to experience healing. So look at your hand out. No unconditional love, and you're wounded. You have emptiness and pain. 
You turn to behavior drugs to fill the void and numb the pain. But if you have unconditional love, either by your parents or through actually when you're old enough and you actually understand and experience God's love and healing, it fills the emptiness and it heals the pain, then you have no need for behavior, narcotics, and drugs. The solution for sin is found in what we were created for in the beginning, which is unconditional love. One of my seminars, I gave an appeal for healing and anointing, and so I did that, and it was a, it was a weekend meetings, and as I did these meetings, the people actually were coming up for anointing, and so we're praying and anointing with oil, and one guy was in the back room, and he kept walking back and forth, walking back and forth, and I saw that, and uh, people were coming, and we went on, and that night, we went on to like 11 o'clock at night, and he's still waiting. He said, no, no, they can go first. And he wanted to go last. So he went last and he finally came forward and I was so tired. And first thing he said to me is, Pastor, I don't know if you want to hear what I want to tell you, but I feel a need to tell you. So I looked at him and he expected me to say, it's okay, go ahead and tell me. But I was so exhausted, I said, I didn't say anything. I just looked at him in glazed eyes. <laughs> and so I said, what he wants to pray for. So why he tell me about his problems, his addictions to, se- to sex, and his anger problems with his family and everything. And then he told me again, Pastor, I don't, you, I don't know if you want to know what um, I'm going to tell you, but I feel I need to tell you. Again, I didn't say anything. So he continued to talk a little bit longer. And finally he said a third time, he said, Pastor, I don't know if you want to hear what I need to tell you. And finally I said, okay, go ahead and tell me. And so I realized in your presentations that I'm having these addictions because of my past. I'm having conflict in my marriage because of my past. I'm having conflict with my children because of my past. And I clicked with my mind. I realized, okay, this is what's, what happened to me. So he said, it was when I was just finishing my schooling and I was doing my practicum and I was in his room with a patient interning. It was a little girl. She was on his machine and somehow something happened, and I panicked. And I accidentally flipped the wrong switch. And I knew I needed to flip it back on, but I didn't. And that little girl died. And she said, to this day, no one knows what happened. This man was 65 years old. He said, I lived with this pain my whole life. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that was your daughter? Can you imagine the hurt? Not only what happened, but not telling the truth all those years? The guilt? Can you imagine that eating you up on the inside? That's one pain. I'm sure many of you here are hurting with many other pains. That maybe all these years you've been attending church and you have not been touched by the divine healer. And God wants to heal you. And he will heal you if you believe his word that he loves you. With all the love in this world. What do you say? And more and beyond in heaven. What do you say? Amen? With unconditional love. Not like this world, which is actually so conditional, based upon if you do this, then I'm going to love you. No, God loves you unlike any love you've ever seen because he's a wonderful and amazing God. And that's the type of love God wants us to experience in our lives. The last quotation I read to you says, Ministry of Healing, page 423. Notice what it says here. The revelation of God's love to man... You want to find what God's love is most clearly seen? 
The revelation of God's love to man centers in the what? Cross. By his wounds on the cross, you and I are healed. What do you say? Amen? If you want to find out where you can see God's love more clearly, and that's why I tell people, okay, I give them assignments. Go back. Re- I'm doing it right now again. I read Desire of Ages like 20 times. But I got this little book that just talks about the last days of Jesus. This is a chapter that's only focused on the, specifically the Gethsemane to Calvary. And I've just been reading it over and over and over again. And now I'm going through it right now. And I, just, and I just meditate on a few chapters a day. And just kind of soak it in, right? And just kind of imagine myself, right? Spend a thoughtful hour each day with total inspiration, right? Especially the closing scenes, right? And let the imagination grasp what? Each scene, right? So I just grasp and meditate, put myself there. And I see God's love more clearly. And I, and I do that, it actually begins to heal me and slowly heal me more and more. I want to experience God's love more and more. How about you? What do you say? Amen? God's love is amazing, and he loves you so much. I want God to reveal his love to me so that I can then be set free. How about you? If you'd like to be set free from your sins through the power of a God who loves you more than he loves himself, would you say amen with me? What do you say, amen? amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and love. Thank you for your healing power. Lord, help us to be sympathetic with people and also to see how we need healing. Pray, Lord, that you may work in our hearts, help us to discover the root cause, discover the root solution. Thank you, Lord, for your healing love. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.